Christmas. It's only a few days away. And I bet many of you are excited about it as, as I am, to spend time with family and friends. Some of you will be traveling. Some of you already have traveled here. Whatever the case may be, this is a time for celebrating and rejoicing. The last few weeks we've been looking at the major festivals and feasts of the Old Testament and how each one points to the celebration of God's gracious gift. Jesus' coming, His work, His death, His resurrection, His rule, and His second coming, all which we celebrate at Christmas. A few weeks ago, we saw how Passover points us to God's rescue of His people from slavery in Egypt, but also shows us how Jesus rescues His people from slavery to sin. Next week, we also looked, or the week after that, we also looked at the Day of Atonement and how God forgives His people through sacrifice. Yet the fullness of sacrifice did not come from the sacrifice of animals, for they were only temporary. For Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for sin was the only act that could save people from their sin. And last week, we looked at how Pentecost how God provides for His people and how He still does today. This morning we are looking at our last feast, the last major pilgrim feast of the Israelite calendar, the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booze, depending on what your translation says. Now at this feast, the Israelites, they remembered what God had done for them, preceding them into the Promised Land, preceding them in the wildness of the desert, providing them during the wilderness wandering, and how they must joyfully celebrate this event, and how they look forward with eager expectation how God will provide for them in the future. Let us now read together from our passage this morning, Leviticus 23, 34-43. This is the word of the Lord. Say to the Israelites, on the fifteenth day of the seventh month of the Lord's festival of tabernacles begin, and it lasts for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do not let your work. For seven days present food offerings to the Lord. And on the eighth day hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a closing special assembly. Do no regular work. These are the Lord's festivals, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord, the burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those for the Lord's Sabbath and in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed at all free will offerings you will give to the Lord. So beginning with the fifteenth day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy greens, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters, so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters 
when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, please open our hearts and open our minds that we may hear your word proclaimed so that we may live lives that honor and glorify you, Father. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Now, during the Christmas season, we spend a lot of time doing things. We spend a lot of time buying presents, cooking, cleaning, going to parties, traveling, and if you're like my family, always getting sick. And because of all of this busyness, we, we lose the forest in the trees. We forget why we are celebrating Christmas. Now, this is not a condemnation of anyone. We have tasks to do. We have people to be prepared for. We have fun to be had. Yet it seems during this Christmas season, we put off first remembering Jesus' first coming and looking with eager expectation towards his second coming. We sort of delegate it only either to Christmas Day alone or as something that we even just have as a short time between having a great breakfast, opening presents, and maybe a little bit of time here before eating a Christmas ham. And we like to rejoice at Christmas time, but we should never do so at the expense of forgetting why, or remembering why we can rejoice in what Christmas is pointing us from and towards. We are so similar to the Israelites of the Old Testament. They had short memories, as we do. And they, like us, they forget what God has done in the busyness of daily life. And why God commanded Israel to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So they would remember what God had done for them in the wilderness. So they would rejoice. So they would celebrate what God is doing for them at the current moment. At that time. So they could look forward to how God would fulfill His promise to them in the future. The same is true with us today. God has provided for us. And we must remember to celebrate that at Christmas. God is still providing for us today. And we must rejoice. We must praise Him for that. And with eager expectation, look forward to God fulfilling all that He has promised and what He will do in the future. So let's first look at what God commanded Israel to do to remind them how He provided for them. Now when hearing the name, the Feast of Tabernacles, unless you live in a Jewish community... You may be wondering, what in the world is this talking about? What is God asking these Israelites to do? Well, the simple answer is this. God is asking them to build temporary shelters, temporary living quarters, all the days of the feast. I think you'll see it up on the slide in just a second. Something that sort of looked like this. God is asking them to build something that looks like a structure of a tent for a week-long celebration. Now, if you've ever gone camping before, then you know the joys and the pitfalls of living in a temporary shelter for a short amount of time. And the longer you live in there, the harder it becomes. When I was a teenager, I was in a rigorous scouting program, and I participated in an activity which required me to live and to store all of my belongings in a tent for three straight weeks, regardless of the weather. And sometimes it was hot. Now, thankfully, they didn't make us build our tents from scratch. Now, we were able to buy them first, but we did have to move around a lot and move around all of our stuff almost daily, setting it up and tearing it down. Now, when you're living in a temporary shelter, you get a new perspective on things that you have. It helps remind you how you got them 
and the things that you might have taken for granted. Like having, having air conditioning or a bed or an easily accessible bathroom. With all of these things, the Israelites that God had commanded them to do, He had them create and live in these shelters so they would remember what He had done for them. Specifically, how He brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, tyranny, and false gods, and into the wilderness, and how they followed Him, how they followed the presence of God, where God also gave them manna, bread from heaven, and quail, and water to drink. God also was bringing them out of the wilderness into the land of milk and honey, into the promised land, where He promised Abraham back in the early parts of Genesis that it would be their new home. Now, God commanded this of them while they were still in the wilderness, before they'd even gotten to the promised land, so they would not forget something important, that they did not get out of Egypt through, and through the wilderness on their own. This was all because of what God had done for them. So they would never forget how they came to their land. That it was not by their own will. It was not by their own strength. It was all by God Himself. These temporary structures were physical reminders of the grace shown to them. The grace of God's provision for them. It also says something that they weren't just supposed to build these tabernacles and dwell in them just for, for, for their own sake. He has, them, he has them reminding them because so many generations would have died between then of the, of the event actually happening and them of that day. And like I said before, with our memories so short and our memories just liking to forget things, there was a good chance that these Israelites would have forgotten the actions of God and His love for them. Now, when we look at these specifics of these temporary dwellings, these, these tabernacles, it's interesting that God does not have the Israelites create these tabernacles out of materials they would have found in the wilderness, like briar bushes and things like that. Rather, He has the Israelites build temporary shelters out of lush, beautiful branches that they would only have found in their new land. He showed the Israelites even more how God had brought them through the poverty of the desert and out of the slavery of Egypt into the fertile land of Canaan, a land which was theirs, given to them by God alone. The imagery and the symbolism that God gives in His commands is not only beautiful, but it shows His compassion for them and their aid in remembering. Now, while creating these personal tabernacles is a powerful physical reminder of God's love and provision, that's not only where the celebration is all about. There's a lot more that's going on. There were still more reminders of God's grace, like having multiple alarms or reminders on your cell phone so that you won't forget the meeting you have at work or the paper you have due at school or maybe the romantic date you have planned. God wants to continually show them of His love for them. Now, the next way that God commanded these Israelites to remember who He was was He required all Israelite men to attend the feast at the temple at the central worship center of God in Jerusalem. They were required to do this as they were representatives of their family. Now this didn't prohibit others from attending, but rather this was the bare minimum. For this was like a family reunion, a coming back together. For during the early times of this celebration of the feast, Israel was spread out all along the land of Canaan. 
This would bring them back together. That they would be worshiping God together. Remembering together. Rejoicing together. For all that God had provided for them. So how, how do we know what God has done? Well, the Israelites, they were told from generation to generation verbally what God had done. Later, they also had the books of the law. And it even became a requirement later that they would read the entire book of the law during this festival of tabernacles every seven years. Just picture how long that would have taken. We even have an easier time than these ancient Israelites. We have God's Word. We have it in our physical copies of our Bibles. We have it on our phones. We have God's Word in complete and finished form and have easy access to it, telling us all that God has done for us. That from in the beginning, He created everything. The stars in the sky, the moon, the sun, to people, plants and animals, water, vegetation, to, give, to having God give one command to Adam and Eve to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we see how they broke that command and having to have the consequences of eternal separation from God. Even the earth itself was under the punishment. Yet, we see in Scripture that's not where God's Word ends. No, that's not where His actions end. We also see in God's Word that He is giving, and that while He is giving the punishment for our sins, He also makes a promise in Genesis 3.15, which we'll see on the slide. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This means that God would send a Savior to save people from their sin. And while the ancient Israelites, they didn't understand this, they didn't fully understand how this would happen, we do. We know that God sent Jesus, His Son, here to earth. And we see it at the beginning of the New Testament, which is where we celebrate Christmas at. Actually, in just a few minutes ago, we actually sang one of my favorite Christmas songs, Joy to the World. Joy to the World is more than just a Christmas song, though. It talks about the whole gospel. It says this, if you can see on the slide, these are just a little summaries of the verses. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. And then it goes on. No more let sin or sorrows groan, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curses frowned. For he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. That is the gospel in song form. And we see in this song and in the gospels that Jesus did not just stay a baby. No, he grew up living a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Dying the death that we deserve. Raising back to life to the glory of God the Father. Defeating death. So that anyone who believes in Jesus won't have to live eternally separated from God, but will live forever with Him in heaven. This provision of grace, the love that God has shown, and that we must remember, we must remember this daily, not just any specific time set aside in the year, but all the time. But what is it all that we must remember? Is, it, is this it? No, we also see from Leviticus that even the Israelites celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to do more than just remember. They also had to celebrate and rejoice for what God is doing now. Not just forgetting the past, but remembering, but also celebrating the things that are happening today. 
The Israelites, they celebrated and rejoiced by having different ceremonies at the feast. Now, some of these ceremonies were only small, minute changes to the regular daily activities, and some, these were special days that they looked forward to all year long. Now, two of these major changes were the addition of two multiple worship services and a myriad of sacrifices. With the worship services, we see that there were two major gatherings, to open the feast and to close the feast. Now, while this may not seem like a joyful occasion, it should be. For what is worship? Worship is declaring who God is and thanking Him for His actions, past, present, and future. And coming before Him in prayer, reading God's Word, and singing before Him with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and living lives that glorify God. How is that not filled with joy? These two assemblies, they would have been some of the highlights of the entire festival. Now, when I think back to my, my personal experiences on different retreats growing up as a youth or ones that I've led as an adult, these are the highlights of the retreat, these two opening and closing ceremonies. For these times of worship, I am with my brothers and sisters in Christ in anticipation of all we're going to do and then in celebration of all that we have learned together so we might share the gospel with the world more passionately than we had ever before. These Israelites, they would have been wor worshiping with their extended family. Some they may have not seen for a while. And they also may be of worshiping with parts of God's family they had never met before. That is a joyful celebration indeed and a picture of heaven. This gathering of the family of God in one place is similar to what, what do we see in Revelation 19 with all the people of God worshiping together forever with Him. Something that if you are a follower of Christ, you must be looking forward to with eager expectation. Now this second change to the Israel daily activities reminded them to rejoice was the sacrifices. Now usually these sacrifices and offerings happened in a daily life, but during a feast they were, they were expanded. And now at the Feast of Tabernacles, even, it was even more so. This was the biggest amount of sacrifices that were at any type of um, festival. There were over 500 sacrifices made during this eight-day celebration, in addition to all the regularly daily sacrifices. It's almost like one of those commercials that you see on television. Buy one, get one, get one or two, three free. But in this case, do one, get 500. Now, if you look at the slide, it'll show how many there are. These number of sacrifices can be found in Numbers 29. Each day is listed with a sheer amount of types of sacrifices. It's astounding. It's staggering. There are 70 bulls, 14 rams, or sorry, 70 bulls, 14 rams, 98 lambs, and 7 male goats. And on top of that, 336 grain and oil offerings. Everything besides the goats and the regular burnt offerings were above and beyond the normal requirement. Now, the amount of these sacrifices, it shows us something important, something very important. That even with all of these sacrifices, even the sheer amount, such a high number, this would not forgive the people of their sin forever. Even if they were giving in joyful celebration or in humble confession, they would, only, they would have to annually perform these sacrifices for their sins to be forgiven. It was only a temporary fix. Yet today, we can be joyful 
that we don't have to perform daily, weekly, or even yearly sacrificial um, sacrifices. For all these sacrifices, they have been fulfilled in Jesus. We see in Hebrews 10, 1-4 this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, or every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of their sins... But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder, or there is a remainder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and of goats to take away sins. Animal sacrifices could never take away sin. But the blood of Christ, it sanctifies us, it cleanses us of all of our sin. And Jesus, it was his sacrifice by him being high priest being able to live a perfect life it was by him dying a perfect death and him raising to life again that this sacrifice was accomplished and eternal salvation brought to his people once and for all so no more sacrifices need be made so what does that mean for us today it means that we should daily joyfully be celebrating what god is doing now, by worshiping Him, worshiping the living God, worshiping living according to His Word, by coming together on Sunday morning for worship like we're doing today, worshiping Him according to His Word, doing what His Word says, by taking part in the sacraments, which we'll be doing later, specifically the Lord's Supper, and praising God for all that He is doing. He is bringing people daily to salvation. Not anything out of their own efforts, but by God's actions alone. He has already made the sacrifice for sin, and He is now calling His people back to Him. That is something we should be excited about. That is something we should be rejoicing, praising God about. And unfortunately, more excited than we usually are about those things. We should also be celebrating, like the Israelites, that God had provided all that they need to serve Him. These animals that they had for sacrifices, God gave to them for eating and for sacrifice. And God gives all that is needed to serve Him well. This is a cause for daily praise. It's something we shouldn't neglect, even though we even hear about it in the Lord's Prayer, asking for our daily provisions. We should be asking for our daily bread, yes, but we should also celebrate knowing that God will give us what we need to serve Him. Now, so far this morning, we have seen from the Feast of Tabernacles that we must remember what God has done. We must rejoice in what God is doing now. And lastly, we see today that like the Israelites, we must look forward. Look forward to a time when God will fulfill all of His promises which He has made to His people. Two of the ceremonies um, in the Feast of Tabernacles, they point to the future. Not, now, these weren't shown in the Old Testament laws for feasts, but we see them in the New Testament. And they actually take place on the last and greatest day of the feast. In the Gospel of John, chapter 7, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's being celebrated. And Jesus, as well as his disciples, they're in attendance. 
Now, these two ceremonies are the water-pouring ceremony and the lighting ceremony. John 7 and other sources, they show us that the water-drawing ceremony, which is a drama-filled ceremony, where the priest is, is drawing water from, from a pool with people all around him, shouting like a parade, rejoicing so all could hear. And after drawing the water from the pool, the priest would then lead the procession back down through the temple into the water gate with ram's horns announcing their arrival. Then crossing over the courtyard and standing, he would pour then all the water into a magnificent silver basin. Now this the ceremony, it symbolized what was prophesied with great anticipation of the waters of the wellspring of salvation from Isaiah 12:13, which is why in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus stands up after the ceremony and then declares with bold declaration that he is the living water, meaning that Jesus would pour out his spirit to quench the deepest longings of the heart. Just as Isaiah was giving a prophecy to those who would travel through the dry, or those who had traveled through the dry and weary wilderness of which this feast commemorated. Again, God fulfills his promises, even if it takes hundreds of years to fulfill. He never does not fulfill it. Now, the other ceremony that took place was also on the last day of the feast. It was the lighting of these lampstands. Now, this is sort of hard for us to find, and unfortunately, I couldn't find a picture that really took all of this in. There are four golden lampstands, 75 feet high, which all had golden basins at them that were filled with oil. And at the, at the end of this ceremony, they're lit on fire. The fire is raging and roaring. And just picture all of this going on, and Jesus stands up. Everyone's rejoicing around him. And John 8:12 says this, Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This feast, it was the culmination of what all they had been celebrating all along. That the Messiah would come. And that Jesus claiming to be God would be bold and unmistakable. For 400 years, God had been silent. Now was the time to rejoice. For what they had been looking for come. Two, we can eagerly await the fulfillment of the promises of God. All the ceremonies that we see in Scripture either point us to Jesus' birth, His life, His work on the cross, His resurrection, and His second coming. And guess what? All of Christmas is the same. This is what we must proclaim. That it points us to Jesus and everything He promised. In the Old Testament, Jesus was the promised one, the one and tabernacle to dwell among us. And He did. And now we are awaiting His second coming from which He will take the living and the dead before judgment and then we will spend eternity with Him. Therefore, what must we do to trust in the promises of God? We must trust them to be fulfilled. As we saw before and we heard a lot, God never breaks His promises. We can trust Him in that. He never forgets them as we so easily do. And He fulfills each and every one of them. Even if it's not in the way we think it's going to happen. Like of that of Jesus' first coming. The people did not expect Jesus to come and act as He did. Yet He fulfilled Scripture in such a greater way than we could have ever anticipated. Another reason to rejoice. 
In addition to this trust, we also must share the promises of God with all who we meet. For the Feast of Tabernacles, it was a physical reminder of what God had done and what God will do. Christmas, it's an annual celebration of what God has done and what He will do. Use this opportunity afforded to you. Share the Gospel. Rejoice in the salvation which God has offered freely as a gift. And look forward to His second coming and eternal, our eternal embrace with our God. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Holy and Almighty God, I thank You for being with us here today. I thank You for giving us the ability to hear Your Word. Please help us to, rem- to remember all that You have done even though our memories may not always be that great, Father. Help us to remember all of the actions that you have done. Thank you, Father, for giving us your word so we could read it, so we can know it. Father, please also help us to rejoice in all that you are doing now. Father, and also please help us eagerly anticipate what you will do in your second coming, Father. We thank you for all these things. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.